We're going to read some scripture. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And uh, these might be familiar words, but let these words uh, sink into your hearts this morning as the Apostle Paul writes to the uh, Ephesian believers. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's uh, let's pray this morning. Lord, we're thankful that we can be here today to freely worship you. But most of all, this morning, we're thankful for Jesus, that name that is uh, above every name, that name at which someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, help us to do that now. While we're in this age of grace, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, we pray for our nation today. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president, our vice president, our state leaders, our local leaders. Thank you for them. And we pray that you would guide them and give them wisdom. And Lord, we pray for peace in the Middle East. Lord, we thank you for hostages that have been released. And Lord, we we would pray that you would... uh, protect those that are still held captive, and Lord, we pray for their soon release. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries that we can support and encourage, and we thank you for our missionaries of the month, Tim and G. Kavanaugh. Lord, and we pray that you would just bless them today. Uh, Lord, as they um, are back in California and uh, seeking your continued uh, pathway for them, uh, on their uh, mission journey. So we pray your blessing and encouragement into their lives. Lord, open up our hearts now to your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to look at Acts 15 this morning, and we're going to get into our, our Christmas messages on next Sunday, and we'll do three of them, and uh, um, we'll get back into the book of Acts um, in January of 2024, it's hard to believe that uh, 2024 is right around the corner. So God willing, uh, that's what we'll do. Uh, we, we're going to finish chapter 15 in the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters, so we're a little over halfway through. And so we're going to uh, jump into Acts chapter 15 if you want to follow along. Uh, in your Bible this morning. And the title of the message is really a question that is right out of Acts chapter 16, and we'll get to it in, in about a month or so. You remember the story of the Philippian jailer and Paul and Silas are in prison, there's an earthquake, uh, the chains fall off, and the Philippian jailer asks a question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answers with, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, that's the question that we want to look at this morning. And you might say, well, we know the answer to that question. As we study the scriptures, as we have 2,000 years of church history, uh, the completed scriptures, we know the pathway, at least those of us here know the pathway to salvation. So why are we asking that question? And the reason we're asking that question is because that wasn't so clear 2,000 years ago. You have to understand the Jewish mindset. You have to understand the Jews were God's chosen people. 
And they had 2,000 years of tradition, of following the Mosaic law, of having to be circumcised and all these rules and regulations. And so when Pentecost came and the church began to grow and, and Gentiles began to put their faith in Christ, there were some Jewish people that said, that's great, but wait a second. Uh, there's a few other things you need to do. You can't, you need to follow the, the, the tradition of, of Judaism for 2,000 years. And so that question came up and it became a tremendous problem in the early church. This group of people came to be known as the Judaizers. Our adult Sunday school is studying the book of Galatians and it's all about the, this, this issue. So you'll see a lot of parallels probably in, in today's, in today's message. But the, the Judaizers said, yes, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus. And anytime you add anything to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, then we've, we've got a problem. There are some denominations today that have done that. Um, the denomination of the Church of Christ says, yes, you can, you can put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to be baptized to be saved. And you have to be baptized by our denomination. And if you're not uh, putting your faith in Jesus and baptized in the Church of Christ, guess what? You're not going to heaven. And so this issue and problem is still around today. And so we're going to look at how it was solved, at least uh, come to a conclusion in, in the first century in Acts chapter 15. Let me give you a little context here. Paul and Barnabas had just completed their first missionary journey. They were gone for a year. They're back in Antioch now after that missionary journey, and uh, all of a sudden uh, a, a dispute happens, an argument happens, and let's read it in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. <laughs> Oh, unless you follow our religious traditions and our rules, guess what? You can't be saved. And so this created a huge dispute. And we read about it in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Uh, the New Living Translation says Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently as well they should have. If there's one thing you got to get right, you got to get the gospel right. You, you got to get teaching the, the scriptures right, cutting it straight, as Second Timothy 3.16 says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you don't have salvation right and you're preaching the wrong message of salvation, you're actually paving the way to hell for people. And so this is a crucial, crucial issue. And so Paul and Barnabas are arguing with these people about the way of salvation and so uh, here's how they begin to resolve this. Saul, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, whenever he talks about going to Jerusalem, all he says going up to Jerusalem, that's because Jerusalem was at about a 2,600-foot elevation. Uh, geographically, it's south of Antioch, about 250, 300 miles so, so these, uh, Paul, Barnabas, Titus joined them. We, we know that from Galatians chapter two. So they make this trip to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? That's where the church started. That's kind of where headquarters are. 
Uh, you would maybe look at the, that as the, you know, the denomination on the headquarters. That's where the apostles were. And so they make their way to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 3, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem. And uh, this is called uh, the Jerusalem Council. And they get down there and they have a discussion, a rather long discussion. We're going to look at it in verses 4 through 18. And let's look at the discussion. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So here, Paul and Barnabas now are giving a firsthand report to what we would say is denominational headquarters, to the leaders of the church. What are they reporting? They're reporting like their first missionary journey. Let me tell you what God has done and, and how we've traveled far north and all over the known world and Gentiles have put their faith in Jesus. And so they report this to the, uh, the church there at Jerusalem and the leaders. And so here they have this big meeting and uh, there's two sides of this question. They both get to speak. Then some of the believers, verse 5, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. (laughs) Oh, they're making their position pretty clear. You Gentiles, you have to enter the door of Judaism first, and then the second door will be Jesus. And that's what they're, they're trying to say that Gentiles need to do. And that was their position. Well, now in the Jerusalem Council, we hear from three leaders, three apostles, and um, they make their statements. And I'm going to just read through this quickly because I think it's important to understand the context of all this. So it says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. The Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, They came to Christ and the Holy Spirit came on them. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts, how? By faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Here's Peter's conclusion. No, we believe it is through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved just as they are. So Peter recounts uh, his experience. Uh, And remember that he uh, was led to Cornelius' house, the Roman Gentile centurion, and uh, he became a a believer. And so he's saying, no, uh, this the, the law is not required to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Well, next, Paul and Barnabas speak. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Tell about the signs and wonders God had done among them and among the Gentiles through them. So Paul and Barnabas get up and, and, and they give their statement about salvation and what God had done through them. Well, finally, 
James speaks. Now, who's James? James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, the scriptures tell us that James didn't put his faith in Jesus until after the resurrection. Uh, pretty hard to believe as you're growing up that your your brother is God. And so um, the, the siblings of Jesus didn't believe until after the resurrection. But here's James now. He's become a believer, and he is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And he kind of gives a concluding statement in verses 13 through 18. When they finished, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name among the Gentiles. Now, what does James do? He, he quotes scripture. He quotes prophecy. And he says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James backs up Peter's experience, Paul and Barnabas' experience with Scripture, with prophecies. This is what the prophet Amos prophesied, that the gospel is for everyone. So James comes up with a concluding statement and uh, to be honest, sometimes when you read it, it's a little troubling because there's some things in there that's like, well, what, why is James putting that in there? Why It seems like James is adding some things to, to this gospel by grace alone. So uh, let's look at the decision, and it's found in verse 19. James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to Abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so why is James giving those prohibitions there? Why is he adding that? Well, let me just share uh, one commentator here, and maybe that will uh, clear things up. He writes, these puzzling prohibitions were part of heathen rituals these new believers may have participated in. So it made sense that they were told to abstain from them. In addition, and here's the key, since these were stumbling blocks for those who were raised on a kosher diet. So now we're bringing Gentiles and Jews together. It was a way for a Gentile background believers to love Jewish background believers. It's really the principle that's found in Romans 14 that Paul later on writes to the Romans. And he says, you know what? Um, don't, don't, don't be a stumbling block in your fellow believers' uh, Christian walk. Um, I'll just relate it to today. Um, uh, the, the issue of, of alcohol and perhaps there's a, a person that's come to faith in Christ and they've had uh, tremendous problems with alcohol and been an alcoholic and they're overcoming that. Um, Romans 14 might say, you know what, you may, you may have freedom to drink that alcohol, a glass of alcohol, but you might want to refrain from it in regard to your fellow believer because you don't want to be a stumbling block in his walk with God. This is kind of the same concept. 
Dr. late Dr. Warren Wiersbe says, the legalistic Jews willingly gave up insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved, and the Gentiles willingly accepted a change in their eating habits. It was a loving compromise um, in view of uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, verses 22 through 29, we're not going to read them because it simply is a letter then that they sent back to the church at Antioch to say, this is, this is our decision, that uh, Gentile believers don't need to follow the Old Testament law. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law of Moses. Why? Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus has already fulfilled the law. And so um, we have this uh, freedom in Christ. So here's the conclusion. So the men were sent off, verse 30, and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together, and they delivered the letter that uh, is found there in beginning in verse 24. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them, the church at Antioch, um, or rather, um, the other place. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word. So there's, uh, there's kind of the conclusion to that story. Um, they took this letter back from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. They read it, and uh, this this matter was then settled. This crucial matter was settled about how or what we have to do to be saved. You know, we're gonna we're just gonna finish this chapter because it kind of um, fits in with our outline, and so uh, we need to follow finish this up by looking at the disagreement then between Paul and Barnabas the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So this happens sometime later. Uh, there's a little bit of time that goes by, and now Paul and Barnabas um, are ready to take missionary journey number two. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back now and visit all those churches that, that we went to and, and just encourage them and, and uh, connect with them again. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Barnabas says, then, uh, let's take John Mark. John Mark actually was a cousin of Barnabas. And when Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, Paul says, no way. (laughs) Because John Mark was on the first missionary journey, and for whatever reason, we don't know, he bailed out less than halfway through. He says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And so now we have this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about personnel. Should we take John Mark on missionary journey number two? And it says that they had, verse 39, such a sharp disagreement. Imagine two Christians having opposite sides of uh, opinions on an issue, not being able to agree. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So they couldn't agree on this. How did they, how did they settle this issue? Um, well, they compromised. They compromised. This is Barnabas decided to take Mark, his cousin, and he sailed off on a missionary journey. Paul and chose Silas and left, 
and commended by the believers to the grace of God, he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they could not agree. And so Paul says, well, I'll take Silas, Barnabas says, I'll take Mark. And now guess what happened? Now there's two missionary teams going out <laughs> and, and advancing the gospel. And uh, so that's, uh, that's where chapter 15 ends with the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and uh, they compromised. And uh, two missionary journeys took place instead of one. Well, just in the last 10 minutes here, then, we're going to just look at some uh, life lessons from um, Acts chapter 15. So what can, we, what can we learn? How can we apply this to, to our lives? So there's, there's three of them. Here's the first one. First one is this. We must vigorously defend the doctrine of grace. Okay, so there were three disagreements, at least in our study of the book of Acts so far. Um, there was a problem in Acts chapter 6, and that had to do with policy. Uh, the church had a Meals on Wheels program, and they were serving the widow's food, and the um, Greek background widows thought that the disciples were showing preference to the Hebrew background widows, and so it caused a problem. And so they elected seven men, uh, known as the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, that would help the apostles with this Meals on Wheels program, and that's, that, was, that was the issue there. Uh, the issue at the end of chapter 16 has to do with personnel. So the first one was policy. This one is personnel. It was, it was around John Mark. But the issue and the problem in the early part of the chapter has to do with doctrine, and uh, this is a crucial issue. And so the scriptures tell us we must vigorously defend the gospel and the doctrine of grace. And here's the statement. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible says we're saved by grace alone, God's riches at Christ's expense, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when you begin to add anything else to that, you're basically saying that the death of Christ and his substitutionary atonement on the cross is not sufficient to save me, and so I, he needs a little help. And so uh, this is a doctrine that we must vigorously defend, and uh, that's why... We read our verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses, there's so many passages in Scripture here that emphasize that point. Let me just read another one, Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of what? His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And this became such an issue that there were some people who had put their faith in Christ in the churches in Galatia, and after a while they started thinking, hey, maybe the, maybe the old way is a little better, and Paul writes the book of Galatians to them. And uh, 
Uh, he writes some very strong words in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, the gospel of grace, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, no, I, so I am saying again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. Those are some pretty strong words from Paul. So when it comes to the way of salvation, we can't just say, well, you know, everybody can find their own pathway as long as they're sincere in what they're believing. No, you can be very sincere in your beliefs and you can be sincerely wrong. And so uh, this is an issue that um, we must stand firmly on. Secondly, is this, we must be grounded firmly in the fundamental truths of Scripture. Now, Peter writes at the end of Second Peter, but grow in what? The grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 4 says, uh, you know, we, we need to be firmly uh, grounded in truth so that every doctrine that comes along doesn't get us to, to question uh, our beliefs. And so... Um, we need to know the fundamental truths of the scripture. And these doctrines, uh, sometimes theologians call them, call this bullet theology. What's bullet theology? Bullet theology is a doctrine or belief in scriptures that you would die for. You'd be willing to die for the truth of this doctrine. And that's what happened, has happened down through history. And we could spend a lot of time here examining um, thousands of people what, that, that have died. Why? Because they're standing on, on, on the truth of the scriptures. Let me just read an uh, illustration of that. Many reformers in the Reformation were burned at the stake because they were resisting the doctrinal beliefs of the Church of England. So the Church of England, which was the state church, said, you must believe this. The reformers refused to believe that. This was during the reign of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, daughter of Henry VIII. From early 1555, Protestants were targeted and under threat of execution were ordered to recant the principal doctrines of the Reformation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. While statistics vary, a conservative count shows 288 were burned at the stake between 1555 and 1558 for refusing to recant. 300 people put at the stake and, and they, they burned them alive because they're not backing off the truth of scripture. And so we must be grounded in the fundamentals of the faith. Now what are the fundamentals of the faith? There is a whole movement that's about a hundred years old called fundamentalism. And simply saying, what are the key central issues that are taught in scripture that we must, we must hold to? Um, we must say this, this is a line in the sand if you're going to uh, believe God's word in these crucial, crucial issues. St. Augustine said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and all things, love. So as we're going to see, there are some issues where Christians can disagree on. But here's five, uh, I, I don't have them on the screen or in your notes, if you want to jot them down, historically, the five fundamentals of faith, the inerrancy of Scripture, 
that God's word is without error. It was inspired by God and it is without error. Jesus says every jot, every tittle, every dotted I, every cross T will come to fulfillment. And so it's the inerrancy of scripture. Secondly, it's the virgin birth. That's what we're going to celebrate in, in this Christmas season, the virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, that's the essential doctrine. Number three, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that it was his blood shed that um, paid for our sin debt. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So we could become the righteousness of God. The bodily resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15. Hey, if, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're, we're in bad shape. Uh, we're hopeless. We're liars because we've been saying Jesus is alive and we have no hope. And so it's the resurrection of Jesus. And then lastly, it is uh, the second coming uh, that Jesus, just as he came the first time, is going to come again. Well, let's look at the third uh, truth here in conclusion. The third one is there are times when Christians can agree to disagree. And that was the story of Paul and Barnabas. And they came up with a, a compromise. And so there, there, are, there are some doctrines and beliefs that uh, uh, Christians are going to be all in heaven together, but we, we disagree on them. Here's, here's one. How about uh, baptism? Not on the meaning of baptism, uh, because we do not believe in baptismal regeneration, that baptism saves you, but the method of baptism, there are different methods of baptism. Uh, some sprinkle, some pour, some immerse. Some do triple immersion. I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we can, we can agree to disagree on that. And uh, uh, that is... Uh, um, an area where we can uh, disagree on. Remember years ago, um, and some of you remember, Deverne and Sylvia Bateman came here for many years until their health declined. And actually, Deverne spent probably the last um, year and a half, two years of his life um, confined to his bed. And uh, I remember a few years uh, before he passed away, uh, his wife called me and said, uh, Deverne, who's basically bedridden, wants to be baptized. <laughs> He'd put his faith in Jesus and he wanted to be baptized. And I'm like, well, I don't think we can accommodate that. So what we did is, and I, I uh, called up one of our men, Howard, Howard Cool went with me. We went over to where they lived, about two miles from the church. They got Deverne out of bed and they put him in a recliner chair. His whole family was there. His kids... Grandkids, we did a little, just a short message about baptism doesn't save us, but it's it's a step of obedience and declare that your your faith in Jesus. And we're so glad that Deverne wants to do that. So he sat in that chair and we put a towel around him, and I got some water and I just poured it over his head, and uh, that was a joyous celebration for for that family. So there are times and areas where we can agree to disagree. How about like eschatology? You know, the, 
like the rapture, and there's all these different positions of when Christ is going to come back, and there's a pre-tribulational rapture, there's the mid-tribulational rapture, the post-tribulational rapture. About 30 years ago, a newer position called the pre-wrath rapture, which is between um, the uh, pre-trib rapture and the mid-trib rapture, and different Christians believe differently about when Jesus is going to come back with the, to rapture the church. Um, we can agree to disagree. How about Bible translations? Um, as long as they're all they're solid, the different beliefs and what's the best translation is. Uh, and so uh, we we need to understand where we need to take a stand and where we need to give liberty. Um, here's an interesting little um, story that relates to that. It's entitled "Die Heretic," and you will enjoy this. Since I was walking in San Francisco along the Golden Gate Bridge when I saw a man about to jump off, I tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. And a tear came to his eye. I then asked, are you a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, or what? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, small world. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? He said, I'm Protestant. Me too. What denomination? He said, I'm Baptist. Me too. Uh, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, well, me too. Northern Baptist, conservative Baptist, or Northern liberal Baptist? He said, Northern conservative Baptist. That's amazing. Me too. Northern conservative fundamental Baptist or Northern conservative reform Baptist? He said, Northern conservative fundamental Baptist. Remarkable. Me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, a miracle. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lake Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Council Region of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over the rail. Uh, yeah, we there, we need to know where to agree and where to disagree. And uh, the scripture simply says there are times where we need to agree to disagree. And uh, that's, that's uh, what Paul and Barnabas did. Well, three truths this morning. We need to vigorously defend the doctrine of grace. We need to be grounded in the fundamentals of scripture. And we need to know when to agree and when to disagree. Uh, We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in this Christmas season, I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I hope this morning that uh, you have placed your faith in Christ alone, through faith alone, and uh, by grace alone. And uh, this is the message that we need to share this Christmas season, doesn't it? This is the message that joy to the world, the Lord has come. And uh, this is good news for all people. And what's the good news? It's the gospel of grace. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I trust you know him. I trust you'll share that good news. And let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can... um, Come to your word and uh, study it and understand this wonderful gift of salvation. 
that it's not anything that we have done. It's not about doing things, but it's about what already has been done. And when Jesus was on the cross, he gave that victory cry to Telestai, it is finished. Thank you for the, the, the grace of God. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that we will uh, look for opportunities to share the, the good news that Jesus has come. Our sins can be forgiven when we put our faith and trust in him and him alone. And uh, we can have the assurance of eternal life forever with you. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.